Hey everybody, I'm Eric Tornberg, co-founder, partner, Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is an episode of Venture Stories, where we deep dive on topics relating to tech and business with some of the world's leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. We're here today, we're doing a, a, this mini-series called Crypto Stories, and this podcast will be about a primer on real-world consensus. Wow, very exciting. I'm here today with Ryan King, founder of Phone Protocol, and Jahan Trembach, founder of Althea. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Yeah, great to be here. Excellent. Okay, so let's start with some introductions. Ryan, what is Foam Protocol and why is it so game-changing? Foam Protocol, in short, is we're working on spatial and location standards for blockchain technology. And so you can think of it as proof of location. So how do we actually come to consensus on where things are in the real world by leveraging these decentralized autonomous systems? Because so far, they've only been on the software side uh, digitally, like digital gold, Bitcoin. It turns out there's kind of new tools and techniques that we actually have to develop to come to consensus on the real world. Awesome. Jahan. Althea is is a way for routers in a network to pay each other for bandwidth. And what this allows is for networks that can replace ISPs like Comcast and AT&T with networks of individuals running equipment who are loosely affiliated. And and so that allows for more competition within the network and higher speeds for, for lower prices for the average consumer. Awesome. John, you're competing with AT&T and Comcast. Ryan, you're competing with GPS, Google Maps. So let's start, so let's start there. What problem are you solving right now? Yeah. So at Foam, we really started out to actually just make location data a first class citizen on blockchain. So currently, as it stands, there are no standards for how do we actually speak about space and location. So we first set out to solve that. We've developed this standard called the crypto spatial coordinate. It's just a, any way for a smart contract to now claim a geolocation and get a unique identifier. The Ethereum virtual machine doesn't support float points. So you could latitude and longitude numbers get really long depending on how specific you get. So if everyone chose a different level of specificity, the system couldn't support that. So we realized, one, we need a location encoding standard. Two, if we have all these spatial-based applications, whether it's in supply chain or mobility, how do we actually interact and reason with that? So we've built a front-end tool we call Spatial Visualizer. It's kind of a visual blockchain explorer. And so that's where we set out to solve, just bringing location and spatial tools to blockchain. But once we're in the realm of blockchain, what we actually needed to solve is location verification. And so that's why we've developed then a proof of location protocol. And let's make this really concrete for folks. How can people, how will foam change their day-to-day life? What are some applications or use cases that you see? Well, hopefully from the day-to-day, the average consumer doesn't necessarily need to know the nit- nitty-gritty in the same way. Not everyone knows how TCIP works or their email protocols work. Right, or, but they use internet yeah. to do all um, for so Facebook here, and Google. So what will people use foam to do? Yeah. In the same way people today use their phones to basically sign off their location analytics to all these companies. They use location, whether you're ordering an Uber, you use location when you're playing Pokemon Go, uh, use location when you're searching for things on Amazon on and wants to show you things locally. People mostly don't realize is their location data is very valuable and they're usually giving it away for free. And also their identities are then spoofable and it's even they themselves could lie about their location. So what we want to provide people is like a decentralized alternative to create fraud-proofed location claims so that they can keep this location data private, keep this immutable record, and then be able to choose which applications they want to share that with. So your location data will be more secure. You'll have more control over it. So you can choose who to share it with and who not to share it with. 
and there you, you can also make money off it. Yeah, and so we imagine that these applications can then start to define these logics of what they want their users to be able to present. Uh, maybe a game only you only have to show you're in one place in a high security, like uh, making sure you're in the right country when you're claiming to vote. Uh, maybe has stricter requirements. So we want to empower these decentralized developers to start bringing in spatial logics and proofs into their apps. And I believe you call home or basically called sort of the context of geospatial primitives, and to say that to say that people build on top of it, or their use cases that. Are, that are, are newly enabled by it. Paint a bit of a picture for how the world could be different when foam is 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 widespread. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, to start, we're really just piggybacking on the vision that many people have about blockchain and what the world may look like when we have all these systems. And that's really for us where it starts to fall apart. So that's why we started to bring in these location standards of how to actually enable and support these things. So just in a baseline, if we have these verified location proofs, we'll be able to secure supply chains, have data provenance in IoT data markets, secure in mobility and help support in self-driving cars for shared mapping, etc. That's really just like the one-to-one thing that will help improve. But we then imagine that uh, as you combine these primitives, so you have geospatial, but all these financial primitives, non-fungible tokens and ideas that you can start to mix and match. And uh, we hope that the most fantastical use cases we couldn't imagine in the same way Twitter users invented the hashtag, and that's really what it's most famous for, that here we want to kind of empower what people could now design themselves. So we're kind of starting on the most obvious uh, use cases, but hope to paint a crazy one for us. There's something that comes to mind that you combine this and prediction markets, you combine this and non-functional tokens. I, I don't know, paint something uh, crazy for us. You go to the top of a mountain that's really hard to get to to unlock a rare non-fungible token crypto kitty. And it's so rare that you immediately can like take out a loan in like Dharma <laughs> uh, and you got like a great rate and then you make a set protocol now baskets talking, and then you like put a bounty somewhere else and make a prediction market on if the other person would make it there in time. This is the dream, folks. <laughs> this is the dream. This is what we're building. And you're also giving concrete examples I asked you earlier of how will this affect the person in Detroit's life or anyone, you know, any, any, any person outside the Valley's life who's, who's not an insider. And you said something along the lines of, hey, they go to a bar and I paint a little bit of that. We want to empower all these different verticals that are going to build on top of uh, Foam, Althea potentially being one of them. But we also think that is no one killer app because location is so uh, predominant that we actually envision many long tail examples that you may not imagine. So uh, if you could always generate this proof about where you've been, it might become a habit to do so when you're at the bar, just so you're having this record. But then you could have very simple like smart contracts around, let's say, ticketing and insurance. So I bought a smart train ticket and I can prove the train is 20 minutes late and I'm standing at the platform. I ha- can get an automatic refund without having to interact with any bureaucracies or open a complaint ticket. So you could imagine all these very long tail examples where you just start to introduce spatial proof logics and it starts to become quite apparent that it really affects all areas of life, whether you're disputing their government if you were in Puerto Rico for this many months a year to not pay your taxes to based on like people voting outside the countries they claim to be in, etc. So we really just want to empower it as a primitive of something that's baked into all the other uh, fantastic projects going on in the ecosystem. It is interesting. I A couple of years ago, I invested in this company, Fabric, which was trying to basically create sort of a social network based on location history. Like I've been here... You've been here. And I think you no know, fabric is, is relaunching and a really talented team, but people have tried that in the past. And I think one of the reasons why it didn't work is either A, it took up too much space on the phone or memory in the phone. Like it didn't there were technological limitations, or it's unclear how much people cared to use zone separate app relative to relative to Facebook or, or something else that tracks similar things. And then there, you know, you know, Foursquare has had some success, obviously. Do you see sort of is there a decentralized Foursquare built on top of your app or on top of your protocol, or are you the decentralized Foursquare? Or what, what are your thoughts on Yeah, it's- it's kind of a 
complicated answer in that we are building like really modular tools of these standards so that for the full proof of location, which is this alternative to GPS, is kind of far out and will require testing, but you don't necessarily have to use that as your verification scheme. Apps can build on some phone tools and still rely on GPS. They could pay Foursquare as an oracle to verify things for them. But that said, uh, someone could also build a competing Foursquare app using these tools. One of the reasons Foursquare kind of fell off a bit is because there are no incentives to keep checking in other than these diehard players who get badges. So you could start to gamify it, tokenize it, add incentives for keep checking in. And then once you have uh, this new phone location verification, it can become much more robust and have a much more active user set than the way Foursquare works today. But it's really a range of options in that Foursquare can support apps built on phone where other people can build their own competitors to it as well. So cool. As a transition maybe to Althea, you were mentioning how they're layer two on, on top of foam. Talk a little bit about how you could see your products intersecting or products like that intersecting. Then maybe you can jump jump in. Sure. I, I, layer two, just abstractly, just in that foam, we want to provide ways to just encode location logic into smart contracts, ways to visualize those tools, uh, and ultimately these location verifications. But before we even get to that, like, for example, Althea is based on this ISP MeshNet protocol. So those contracts would need to reference some sort of location so they could use these kind of standards. They might have some front-end tool for the node operators to look at the network so that this visual blockchain explorer can be integrated into that app. And then finally, if we have these like time synchronization protocols, it could really help with their network routing. But that's even further out. So just trying to stress that we really see Foam as this horizontal protocol that is, has many ways to be hooked into. Yeah, so, so just to just to cover how Althea could integrate with Foam. So just just give people an idea of what an Althea network looks like. This is long range, usually long range Wi-Fi uh, antennas, that look little, like little dishes or little cell phone towers on houses. These connect into a network and that delivers eyes, delivers internet to people's houses. So in terms of like how that could work with Foam, the first thing that came to mind when I you know, first started talking to Ryan about it was if they're going to provide proofs of location that inherently involves a proof of uh, a proof of time as well. And so we could actually make our routing protocols a lot more efficient if individual nodes have a proof of like a solid global time, because then they can more reliably estimate how long it takes for a packet to get somewhere and use that to route the packets more efficiently. Another place though is right now we're, we're focused on, on fixed broadband, which is, which is like delivering internet to houses and buildings and stuff. And then, uh, you know, if you're connecting to that, uh, you'd be connecting to your Wi-Fi router like you do right now. But if we do start to branch out into mobile Wi-Fi, or maybe also mobile, just mobile data on other, on other frequencies as well. There, there could be a big role where let's say I have a transmitter and I'm claiming that I'm covering this block, uh, with, with a signal and people are on the block and they have these proofs location and they also, you know, are attesting that my signal is or isn't there. That's, that's another kind of place where, where this kind of proof of location could be used to verify that somebody is actually providing a certain service in a certain location. And talk about what problem solving oh yeah so the problem we're solving is just that internet it costs too much and it doesn't work well enough uh, now in some cities like in san francisco we're getting a fiber rollout and so large cities where there's a lot of competition sometimes have better service but even in new york city i know a lot of buildings there are, are still at you know 15 megabits for maybe 70 dollars a month or more from from the isps and the reason for that is that there's there's just not much competition in the isp market because if you're somebody who knows so like a lot of our early adopters are people who know network 
networking, who know how to set up ISP hardware. And if they want to put those skills to use, they have two options right now. They can start their own ISP, which is a pretty kind of big undertaking, or they can get a job at, at an existing ISP. So what Althea allows is that, you know, a bunch of these people who know how to set up networks that are in a given city, maybe also people who own property, people who also people who are good at recruiting users uh, and organizing everything. Althea gives them a framework where they can all work together in a sort of semi-trustless way. And so by lowering the transaction costs between different people participating in this network, it allows for this this Althea, like an Althea subnet organization in a city, which is sort of like an ISP, an ISP business, but it's also more nebulous and there's competition within the network. So for instance, let's say there's an Althea network in the city, you're getting internet to your house, and you can see across, let's say you can see through some buildings, or let's say you're on a hill, you can see your friend who's on another hill, and you know that the price for internet in your friend's neighborhood on the Althea network there is uh, is higher. You're, you're then incentivized to create a directional Wi-Fi connection to your friend. And because you will then capture some of the revenue from the traffic flowing, you know, from your neighborhood to their neighborhood. And so just to give people an idea of the hardware that's involved, directional Wi-Fi hardware ranges from maybe about, you know, 40 to 80 bucks on the low end for kind of a smaller piece of equipment that's for, you know, for an individual's house to a few thousand dollars for the higher end equipment, which can move like gigabits uh, across miles or connect to a lot of other nodes. And so we kind of give people a way that they can hook in and basically monetize their location and their technical skills to provide internet to their to their city. I think one uh, analogy I heard maybe you say that really stuck with me was how Airbnb really like lowered the barrier for anyone to become like a hotel provider or Althea is doing the same where anyone can now become like an ISP provider. Is that a good analogy? That's that's a good. That's an analogy we use. Yeah. Because if you wanted, let's say before Airbnb, you wanted to start a hotel, you know, that's that's a big, it's a big thing. I mean, you're going to have to turn your whole building into a hotel. It's, it's you got to get licenses, you do all this stuff. Airbnb, you can just be be part of this kind of hotel network and maybe just rent out your bedroom. Um, and that's that's what we're trying to do for internet infrastructure with Althea. And that's also kind of what, what Foam is doing for location infrastructure. But the interesting thing with Foam is that like Foam is creating something that hasn't never existed before, proofs location. Althea is like an optimization to bring more competition into the existing um, internet market. And so... How does it change my family's life in, in New Jersey? They can now become a, like, make money off their ISP? Yeah, it depends. I mean, if, if just your family in New Jersey, if they're not really into, you know, providing internet access, maybe they're just, they just have a cheaper option and they have an option that's going to scale up as, as they, as there are more data intensive uh, apps and stuff and video conferences and VR comes out and stuff, it's going to scale up more smoothly and they're not going to be stuck you know, in some backwater on like this DSL that's terrible. But if they do have like good line of sight and stuff from their house, they can see a bunch of their neighbors or or whatever. And they could also get into, you know, effectively renting out the equipment or putting some equipment on on their roof and, and, and earning some money that way. And describe the state of the ISP market today. Is, is it sort of a monopoly? I mean, yeah, in a lot of places. So in a lot of places, there's now Spectrum, which I think Spectrum is Time Warner and AT&T just merged. I might be wrong on that, but they control a, a very large portion of the market. And there's Comcast as well. About 5% of the market in the US is being served by wireless ISPs. And these are ISPs that use this uh, long range Wi-Fi hardware that I've, I've been talking about and it's it's a fast growing sector and and so those are usually smaller local businesses but they're they're still centralized businesses and they they also have kind of monopolistic practices when you get down to it you know they're smaller businesses so it's generally better so we're trying to you know go into that sector and kind of add fuel to the fire when you guys are going up 
against these like mega incumbents in, in some sense, right? You have Google Maps, GPS, Comcast, AT&T. How do you do that? Well, it's really quite simple. It just <laughs> takes decentralized technology and incentives. So where, like Jihan mentioned, proofs of location don't exist today. It's not a concept that Foam invented. It's uh, been spoken about in the blockchain community years ago, but it's also spoken about in the military and like satellite community. And so there are proofs of location on like military bands, let's say, so that you can actually talk back to satellites if you have access to these very rare channels. But for all the rest of industries, it's on these open bands. So proofs of location as a concept existed, but what we see is the technology actually already exists. So using time synchronization and trilateration to determine location has been proven and deployed uh, with GPS for a number of years. And there's these new kinds of radios called low power wide area network radios. They've been invented for like IoT that need just low throughput, but a battery that can last 10 years. So we don't have to like change the battery all over the city all the time. And so what we see is there's people actually running these uh, radios in their cities and joining these open source communities already. This network called the Things Network. The largest is in Zurich. We have Melbourne, Lisbon, uh, New York, San Francisco. And people are just running this hardware for free because they're radio enthusiasts. And so from Foam's point of view, this uh, technology already exists. But the only way to really make an alternative to GPS is if you were uh, a government or you had some sort of model to get mass participation. And so that's where we want to actually bring crypto economics into the fold where there's already people starting to experiment with this hardware but they don't have a reason to run it at scale or run it for long durations of time and so uh, we want to basically provide this kind of incentive model to actually build up this supply side infrastructure in a way that if you think of bitcoin as a company it hired all these uh, employees to mine and secure the network so we want to basically incentivize all these people to do participation uh, in ways that they can be incentivized so what's the equivalent of a miner here? So in foam, a miner is this low power uh, radio, which we call a zone anchor. And so you need at least four zone anchors to establish what we call a zone of coverage. And so this zone is running this time synchronization protocol over radio. And it's essentially holding a quorum on time and space in that domain. And then they enter into a service level agreement, SLA to basically say we're going to be available offering this accurate service. Um, but they enter into that SLA onto a blockchain, so anyone can investigate it, and uh, they're always at risk of losing their deposit. And so we want to incentivize the supply side of coverage on this dynamic verifying proofs. But on just the mapping side, we already have, uh, there's like millions of cartographers contributing to OpenStreetMap and competing with Google Maps. But the issue is there's no incentive to actually check that data. So it's really fun and people do for passion reasons. People just doing it for fun. Yeah, like there's 3 million changes a week or day to OpenStreetMap. And that's like Wikipedia for maps, basically? Wikipedia for maps. But then you have companies who rely on it because they don't want to pay Google, like actually Uber, Apple Maps, wow. uh, Mapbox, Craigslist. Pokemon Go, they all don't want to pay Google, but then they all have to subsidize their employees to actually go and check and verify OpenStreetMap and develop all these in-house tools to verify OpenStreetMap. So again, we want to then provide incentives for actually verifying data and checking if it's correct so that people will revisit it over time. So uh, that's how we kind of are approaching uh, competing with those systems, but we don't really even see it as direct competitors. It's really something different now. Yeah, I would also say I think that what's really important in taking on these kind of monopolies, and Ryan touched on a little bit but it's uh it's it's community and it's giving people a framework to collaborate and also a framework where they can make that collaboration sustainable so they can get some income from it but it also kind of you know also kind of gamify it in a way so it's like somebody has has a, a way to tr to track their progress like how many zone anchors they're running or, or how many people they're supplying with internet and they have a reward for that so they can justify spending a little more time on it and there's also a framework where they don't have to completely you know go it alone where they 
can have a framework to work with other people. So, you know, like if you think of the OpenStreetMaps maps example, of course, that's all un- unverified, but those are all these sort of volunteer cartographers. And those people wouldn't necessarily want to start their own map company, but they're happy to contribute a small piece to a larger, uh, larger network. And, and I think we have to uh, Althea and Foam uh, and, and all its other projects too. We, we have to decentralize projects in general. We have to capture that dynamic of giving people a way to work together. Yeah, I think as a geospatial primitive in blockchain, actually, you bring up a really good point that community is actually goes hand in hand in a way where you think that everyone wants to participate in Bitcoin, but all you could really do is hold. And so that there's then just a culture of holding and that leads to some sort of a hostility and everyone's just in their house alone holding and on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're here just by nature subject. of it. <laughs> being uh, like location-based like foam already is supporting 25 global communities of telegram groups and meetups that are formed kind of autonomously and we're happy to support but it's really that yeah there's more of a reason to actually meet other people get together and then you can go out and use the software on your own but it's you'd be mapping your own city or own location so there is this kind of uh, idea of actually bringing people together that uh, goes hand in hand with bringing spatial tools into blockchain projects. I'm a community guy as well, so I'm curious, what are the KPIs by which you measure success of community, whether your efforts are leading to the outcomes that you want? Well, all our communities are quite new, so I can judge by like the most successful is uh, so far in Melbourne, Australia. And so the checkpoint of success is they have an active Telegram community. They had a self-organized foam meetup. We sent them shirts and t-shirts, stickers, and they ordered food and presented on foam and made a video about it and posted it on YouTube after. So that- what we'll binds the them together? The, yeah. Interest in cartography? Interest in blockchain projects and that everyone like Jihan was referring to, they all, you know, specifically the Melbourne community, have been ordering these radios before we even told them which to buy and already want to like get together and like test it. And yeah, just pure curiosity. It's not really exclusively profit-driven, but I think the fact that everyone has an opportunity to produce value and actually become a stakeholder is also what actually drives interest. Tan, going back to the same question I asked Ryan in terms of paying a paint a crazy picture of what are the uh, sort of new applications that that Althea will enable that it's hard to imagine today. Yeah, I, I think the the crazy scenario is kind of like badass renegade bandwidth dealers. So um, you kind of think kind of like a cyberpunk sort of future anime kind of thing where it's like people are just going around like figuring out any way they can connect two parts of the network together because they're they're just totally in, they're, no, they're not asking anybody you know for a job and, and like you know doing doing it according to the central plan from a big monopoly company it's more just people going out making connections across a valley you know running uh, ethernet cables like across the roof at night and stuff and so it's like all these efforts, people doing whatever it takes to, you know, earn some money, but also every connection that's made strengthens the network, adds redundancy, adds reliability, uh, and adds bandwidth. And then I think what that leads to is a future where, you know, you have a high, high bandwidth connection with anyone in, in the world. Um, and then especially stuff like, you know, VR, video conferencing. That way you, you sort of break down the barriers of, you know, having people, people needing to be in one place to work together. And, and allow people, you know, almost as like teleportation. I mean, that's the promise of the internet. And then we're just, you know, enhancing that. Say more for you guys about go to market. Oh, yeah. So go to market. Yeah. I wish my, my co-founder Deborah was here because she's, she's our chief community officer. It's extremely important for us. I mean, community is, is probably, you know, the most important thing. And so Do we you believe have Kalsamani's thesis that, you know, everything is mostly copyable because it's all open source and it's really just brand and community that's going to separate projects. Pretty much. Yeah. I, I mean, we have, I think, Althea and Foam, it's a little harder to copy 
because you need some specific hardware skills, but obviously many people are out there have those skills. So yeah, it's not really a big deal to copy it. In terms of our community, we, we have a similar kind of sort of similar, similar to foam sort of way of doing it. We, we also have around, uh, I think, 20, 20 communities out there. Um, and our key performance indicators are actually, you know, people, people installing hardware. So right now there's, a, there's going to be a few installations going in. I think one of the most active communities is, is in Portland. And so they, they have a, in the next few weeks, they're going to be installing a few links there. We have a network in also near Portland, uh, in, in Klatskanai, uh, and that's been serving people internet for a few months, but that's also, that was also started by, by Deborah. So that's kind of our internal test net. Um, and there's also a community in um, in Colombia. Well, they're, they're building a community. It's a, it's a group of friends, and they are really sort of working on how to promote it um, and, and how to how to promote it to their to their the broader community and get customers and stuff like that. So for us, you know, performance is all about like real world getting people hooked up to the system. I'm Colombian, so next time I go, uh, I'm going to visit the Althea meetup. You heard it here first. Yeah. Cool. So I'm curious. For entrepreneurs, engineers who are out there and who are listening and saying, hey, maybe I should start a company or a project in this space, the real world consensus broadly defined, where besides joining Foam or Althea, it's <laughs> uh, so they want to start something, where do you see opportunity in terms of where do you want people to go build projects? And two, why should they want to build projects in the space? Like, why is it such a big opportunity? Um, so with Foam, we ha- currently have a developer portal that we support, developer foam.space. So that's really the first step of a way to get started uh, using the tools that we've built for any developer. Uh, I would say to people interested, it's really easy to get started. And I think too often people try to replicate like one for one what uh, exists today and then uh, add a blockchain to it. So our ultimate vision is not just like having verifications of location, but also that actual places we go to will be affected by this and change. So like we see people uh, making real estate applications using blockchain and all these aspects, but I would say uh, really try to break through and think like what couldn't be done before. Right. And what's a real estate application, for example? Yeah. So people are making real estate applications where they have security tokens, they allow equity ownership, et cetera. But you could have all different, not only funding models, but access to different rooms based on different reputation right. scores, based on if you won the ping pong game and you got this NFT collectible, right. it gives you access here. The longer you stayed at work, you get access to cooler rooms. Yeah. So maybe you actually wind up working all night. I don't know. Just actually bringing in spatial programming uh, that we like think of foam almost as programmable space. Uh, we want people to start like actually trying to affect the actual logic that we have in today. You have cities, networks, cars, and everyone goes to work. They usually fall more or less the same path every day. So how can we somehow disrupt the way people just go about their day to day? Yeah. In a blog post that I think it was FAQ and it was perhaps one of your advisors, Matt Liston, is that interesting name? someone asked him, what are the most long-term implications of foam that he's excited about? And he said, I want to read a couple secure and sovereign relationships that are linked to blockchain economies, dynamic local currencies, data marketplaces, location-based micro-insurances, decision markets for land development, mixed realities, drone airspace purchasing, incentivized collection of spatial data. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, the, the few I'll just touch on quick. Yeah. So the drone one, we have a, another colleague project called Flying Carpet, and they're actually working on drone data collection marketplaces. But you could imagine uh, you putting bounties in locations 
that you wanted the drones to go fly there so that they are incentivized to fly where there's bounty is and they don't fly over your house. You could have something like that. Uh, prediction markets on how cities would be used. Yeah, you can use the spatial primitive tools to encode that logic into a prediction market and have the public now voting on what they want to happen to this like lot of land, let's say. So that's like really like getting more activity and people actually paying attention to the map. So really, we're just starting with these tools to build the map or verify things, but really getting people more involved and paying attention to their locations and bringing in these other blockchain primitives, you can start to have real world effects. Yeah. How about you, Ted? Yeah, I think that an area, I actually mentioned this in in the beginning of the episode here, but an area that's definitely ripe for, for innovation is the, so Althea, we're really focused on the last mile or the last 10 miles, getting the internet from the data center, the backbone cables to your house, but then also the last thousand feet. So setting up transmitters that sort of allow people walking on the street to use, use the internet. I think there's a lot of potential there. And there are there are a few companies working on it, but none of them that, that really stands out right now. And I think that building something like that, you know, like I mentioned, you could use you could use Althea and Foam and and kind of um, we're like Althea, we're disrupting kind of the last mile ISP market, but with that kind of thing, you could also disrupt the the cell phone market as well. Another thing that comes to mind, it's on my wish list, is self aiming antennas. So one of the biggest hurdles right now to setting up uh, long range Wi Fi networks is that you do have to aim the antennas, um, and oftentimes that requires one person on each end of the link. So that's kind of logistically not great. It requires a little expertise. It's not too hard, but what would be great is if, if somebody would invent, and I, people have worked on this in the past, but I don't think anyone's actively working on it right now, invent an antenna where it's like, you know, a long range, long range Wi-Fi transmitter that's robotically aimed. That would be awesome. That would, that would really enhance, would, would enhance kind of, um, you know, our technology. And then even further in the future, there's this, uh, phased array stuff, which is where these antennas are able to, aim them they're able to aim electronically essentially by using interference patterns of the radio waves uh, and that's used right now in a very crude way in wi-fi hotspots but if you could if you could uh you know if you're a radio engineer you can figure out how to steer that into a very narrow beam you could put one of those onto like a sort of a, a long lasting balloon and then people could like just tie that to the, you know their windowsill or the roof or whatever and have the balloon about 100 feet up <laughs> And then this network of balloons would be able to connect to each other. And, and due to the, due to the, the phased array can aim itself nano in nanoseconds. And so the balloon could just be swaying all over the place and the aim would, would stay true. So uh, that, that one's a little bit more far out, but, uh, that would be awesome. And what about incumbents here? We talked about a little bit, a little bit, but are Comcast, Google, Apple, are they just going to, is it going to be classic, you know, Clayton Christensen disruption theory, but they're just going to just let it happen slowly or like, does not do anything about it and it starts you know janky and slow and then you know grows from there or are they going to try to do this themselves yeah well i mean i think if you look at a big you know big centralized company they are not really they don't really operate in the way that Althea or Foam or other decentralized networks operate where it's it's a bunch of people working together i mean it's it's about employees and and contracts and stuff like that and so they i don't think that they would really want to 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 get into this i mean they could participate in these networks with everyone else who's participating as well but they're not going to own them on Althea's side fiber fiber internet is very fast and it's Faster, you know, in, in practical matters, you can get a gigabit over, over Wi-Fi, but it's, it's, that's not the, the top end of the, 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 sorry, the higher end of the range of, of what you can get. And so I think for a large centralized company, they're always going to try to do fiber because it's fast and it fits with their centralized model. And they, and that's what they have done so far with Google Fiber and, and also obviously other ISPs. Whereas like radio technology and especially a lot of different people collaborating on a radio network, it's, it's a much lower cost. 
of of access, but it's still fast enough for like a gigabit's way faster than than anybody really needs at this point in time. So I think it is kind of a classic disruption thing. Um, I, you know, I think a city where they have fiber, it's definitely fiber is, is a very good choice. But what we might see in the future, if Althea does gain a lot of steam, is that you would have a fiber ISP and a radio network. And if the fiber ISP is like the premium high-priced option, but every house would have an Althea router, which would switch between the radio network and the fiber network as you know quality and, and cost dictate. Cool. Awesome. Guys, it's been a fantastic episode. Lastly, where can people find you guys on the internet and what should people stay tuned for for Foam and Althea? You can find us at foam.space or follow us on Twitter at foamspace to look forward to or currently have a token launch event that's uh, imminent. So we'll be launching to the main net of Ethereum by the end of the summer so you can to participate now yeah so for althea you can go to our website which is altheamesh.com um that's a-l-t-h-e-a-m-e-s-h.com or our uh, twitter which at althea mesh in terms of what to look forward to we're gonna we're gonna start a series this week on the the people who are doing our local deployments and it's a very kind of eclectic and varied group of people so it's interesting to hear their stories and then also our software is getting to the point where it's stable enough that um you know people can depend on a little bit more for their real internet use um and uh, so that's that's the sort of the big milestone we have coming up and if you're if you, you've enjoyed this episode start a foam or or althea meetup in your city and if you're in Melbourne and Columbia party's already started so check that out awesome thank you guys so much it's been a great episode thanks for having me thank you